0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au Today's reading comes from John chapter 18, verses 12 to 13, 15 to 18, and 25 to 27. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father in law of Capphas, the high priest that year. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to be the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known, known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on Judy there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter, who was still standing there, warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again Peter denied it, and at that moment a rooster began to crow.
1: All of us uh, have secrets, things that we don't want others to know about. Because if known, we fear that um, that we might be rejected or condemned or shamed. In uh, 2005, a guy by the name of Frank Warren, he created a, uh, a community art project called Post Secret and it had a goal of getting about 365 people who to anonymously send to Warren uh, by mail their secrets and they would do this by writing them on a handmade postcard and put him in the mail and they'd go to his mailbox. And so Warren, he put no restrictions on what people could write on those postcards. But the only uh, thing that he insisted on was that the, what they wrote was, would be truthful and that they hadn't shared it or spoken it with someone else previously. Little did Warren know at the time, but a phenomenon was was sort of born. Uh, And uh, people began to post all kinds of secrets to him, including admissions of sexual misconduct, criminal activity, confessions of secret desires, embarrassing habits, and even their hopes and their dreams. Following a a few examples. Uh, I hit a friend's car in the church parking lot and drove off. Another one is, when I was 16, I poured chocolate syrup, lots and lots, in the snow boots of an older woman. I still remember the pain-squirreled look on her face when she discovered what I'd done. She's dead now. Sorry, Margaret, wherever you are. There are also many other cards on which people share things that they don't know what to do with because they feel uh, an ongoing shame about them and so they believe that to share them would lead to rejection and humiliation. But still they need to do something with them and so they send these secrets into post secret because where else would they send them? Another one is, uh, which is really obviously very difficult to resolve is this one. There was a train wreck by my house I ran to the site and mingled with other passengers, acting like I'd been on the train. I received an $8,000 settlement for pain and suffering due to my back injury. Mm. Another one speaks to something that doesn't that speaks to something that someone doesn't want others to know about, but which they also feel deep shame about. I just found out I'm struggling with depression. And I don't want anyone to know. These are just a few examples of post-secret cards that were sent to Warren uh, to his small project. And uh, Warren's small project tapped into people's deep sense of hurt and loss and shame for things that they had experienced or things that they'd done. And so what started as a small project went viral. And so by 2008 post-secret website became the 10th top visited website in the US by female college students. Then by 2014, Warren had received more than 1 million handmade postcards with people's secrets on them. And the website, which they would display a handful of these postcards each week, was visited more than 700 million times. What this shows us is that we have a lot of secrets. And it also says that we don't want we don't know what to do with them. And we don't want to share them openly because of shame. It also says that shame is not something that only a few people experience, or even something that passes in time. Most of the post secret postcards show that people have actually carried shame. About things they've done or said or experienced for their entire lives, Christians aren't immune to having secrets or feeling shame either. In fact, uh, for Christians, it's sometimes worse because we actually feel guilty about feeling sh- about feeling uh, feeling the shame. We're, in, we're intellectually able to accept this, accept that Jesus deals with our sin on the cross so that we can experience forgiveness but, um, but many of us don't know what to do with the noise that's in our heads that reminds us constantly of what we've done or experienced and that tells us that other people know about that, Who, who, uh, who, who uh, if they really know us and what we've done or what we like or what's happened to us, then this will lead to our rejection by them. Brene Brown, in her TED Talk on shame, says that shame is the fear of disconnection. I would add that it's also the fear of condemnation and rejection. We say to ourselves, if someone finds this out about me, then they won't be my friend, they won't be my girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife or employer. Shame says to us when we're going for an interview, you're not good enough. You never finished that degree. Your wife left you because you're not worthy. It reminds you about what happened to you when you were growing up. It says you're not pretty, smart, or talented or powerful enough. Shame and guilt are related, but they're not the same. Guilt is the feeling that I did something bad or wrong, whereas shame is the feeling that I am bad because of because of what I've done. It makes you feel unworthy that you are a mistake or that you are bad and it sits in the back of your mind accusing you and it affects how you move through life and how vulnerable you are to people and it restricts your freedom, your joy and your peace. But shame is not something that we were meant to experience. In in the beginning Adam and Eve lived without shame. The Bible says that, uh, that God walked in the garden morning and evening to meet with Adam and Eve and they were both naked and felt no shame. It's a picture of innocence, of peace, of relational harmony. When Adam uh, and Eve disobeyed God and, and took what was not theirs, they immediately felt shame because, and because of this they tried to hide From God, And in in many ways, this is what we have been doing ever since, isn't it? We've been trying to hide from God, from ourselves and from others. What's surprising though in that Genesis story is that although Adam and Eve, what they did was wrong and it impacted their relationship with God, what's surprising is that God still came, he still visited them in the garden after what they'd done. He didn't reject them. He called out and asked, where are you? As if God didn't know where they were. It's hilarious. Adam replied, I, I hid because I, I, I'm naked and I was afraid. It also says that God had compassion on them a little later in, the, in that chapter and clothed them to help them deal with their shame. And I believe that many of us live this way as well with the same fear of being found out for what, or, or, for, or for what we've experienced or what we've done. This morning, perhaps, there are things in your life which you also regret, which hum in the back of your mind and that stop you experiencing joy and peace and that you're fearful of other people finding out. Today, Jesus wants to meet you and he wants to deal uh, with these issues, not to expose you, but to clothe you and to heal you and to restore you and by inviting you to follow him into true freedom. One of my favourite stories in the uh, New Testament that tackles the issue of shame and and guilt is the story about the Apostle Peter who denied Jesus three times just prior to Jesus' crucifixion, which Ben read for us. Peter was always an impetuous man. He, he often spoke before he knew what he was saying. He just couldn't help making those sort of big statements. And in John chapter 13, after Jesus washed his disciples' feet and told them that he was about to leave them and that he was going, where he was going, they couldn't go with him, Peter, in typical fashion, spoke out and spoke up and uh, even before he had a chance to think about what he was saying, he said, Lord... Why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you, he says. But Jesus knew Peter and so he challenged him and said, Peter, before the the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. What Peter was saying was, was not just a show of support for Jesus in his hour of need. What Peter was really saying was, Jesus, see these guys here? They might desert you, but I won't. I'm better than them. I have what it takes. After Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him and the soldiers. It was nighttime, and so he managed to, uh, to get to the courtyard where Jesus was being held. But at the gate, <clears throat> Peter's confronted by a servant girl he had come prepared probably to confront soldiers and, or confront religious leaders, but he wasn't prepared to confront a servant girl. And this servant girl asked him straight out, are you one of this man's disciples? And Peter replied straight away, without hesitation, no, no, I'm not. Once inside the courtyard, he stood by a small charcoal fire pondering his next move. And he obviously didn't have a plan. He was standing there and someone else asked him, again, if he was one of Jesus' disciples, which again, without hesitation, he replied, no, I'm not. But Peter was no wimp. If you look in the verses about Jesus' arrest, you'll see that uh, it was Peter who cut off the ear of one of the high priest's guards uh, with a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, when they came to arrest Jesus. But here by the fire, someone recognised him and said, didn't I see you in the garden with Jesus? Again, Peter replied, no, I wasn't there, it wasn't me. And at that very moment, Peter denied Jesus, denied knowing Jesus. And this was his third denial. And right at that very moment, a rooster began to crow, just as Jesus told him that it would. Peter was like a deer caught in the headlights. He was suddenly exposed not only as, as uh, not only as one of Jesus' loyal disciples, not as one of Jesus' loyal disciples, but as something worse—a a disciple who would not die with his master when he promised that he would. He was also something, perhaps more, even deeply more humiliating. He uh, he wasn't even able to admit that he knew Jesus in front of a servant girl. What do you think Peter's overwhelming and ongoing feeling about himself was after doing that? Deep shame. He felt bad, he felt unworthy, which are two typical feelings that people have when they feel shame. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew says, after this denial, Peter went outside and wept there was no way of putting the genie back in the bottle and peter knew it he was completely undone but what was peter going to do now he was one of the sort of inner circle of disciples some would even say that he was the leader of that group of disciples but now how could he continue as a disciple of jesus and how could he go on serving god after this his law, his story his life story was now marked by shame and guilt and everywhere he went, people would tell that story about him. Oh, oh, there goes that guy, Peter. Yeah. Oh, sad story. Sad story. Yep. He was Jesus' right-hand man. But then he denied that he even knew him. And to a servant girl, can you imagine? Peter would only hang his head in shame. But the good news for Peter and the good news for us today is that Peter's story marked now by this shameful event, doesn't end there in that inner courtyard around that charcoal fire. His life was not defined by that moment and yours doesn't need to be either. You see, Jesus not only knew what Peter would do that day, he also knew exactly what Peter needed to resolve his shame and this is what Jesus had set out to do. After Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, the disciples left Jerusalem. They all scattered. Peter and some other disciples, they went back to Galilee, which is where they're from, where Peter actually declared to all of them openly, he said, I'm going back to my old way of life. You see, Peter was a fisherman before he followed Jesus and so he declared to them that I, he was going back fishing and the disciples who were with him decided to go with him. And there they were, fishing one night on the Sea of Galilee at the northern end of the lake, which was near to Peter's hometown. And they'd been fishing all night. And uh, they'd caught nothing, and dawn was fast approaching. And they were about 100 metres offshore. When they heard someone from shore ask them if they'd caught any fish, they responded they hadn't. Then the person on the shore spoke again and said, "'Throw your nets.'" on the other side of the boat and you'll find some fish. They did as the stranger suggested and amazingly they caught this huge haul of fish. The disciple John, who was also on the boat with Peter, he was the first person to realise who the stranger was on the beach and he said to Peter, it's the Lord. And no sooner had Peter heard these words, it's the Lord that he, that he grabbed some, some of his clothes that he'd taken off for this fishing trip and he jumped into the water and headed for shore. And when they all got to shore, they found this charcoal, another charcoal fire burning there with some fish on it. Jesus was there cooking breakfast for them. This wasn't their first sighting of Jesus after his crucifixion. But his appearance this time was different to those other times. You see, he'd come to deal with an unresolved matter. He'd come to erase the shame Peter felt from denying him three times and he came to call Peter again to follow him and to commission him with a new task. You see, shame, although deeply private, is also a public experience when we are exposed. It's not like guilt. You see, guilt we feel internally. But shame, it leads to a loss of face when deeds become known or when something becomes known about us. We lose face. And to remove Peter's shame, Jesus is going to publicly restore him in front of his peers, not by overlooking what he's done, but by helping people, Peter remember what he's done not pointing directly to it, but helping to remember and then to deal with it by calling him again to follow him. The first thing that Jesus does is invites Peter to eat with him, hence the the charcoal fire and the fish on it and the bread. This is a really very Middle Eastern symbolism of, of reconciliation to eat a meal with someone. It's also no coincidence that they're again standing or sitting around another charcoal fire. And so Jesus is making him sit by this fire or stand by this charcoal fire to review the memories and to heal them. And in a sense, this is an intervention in Peter's life. Jesus wants to take them all back to that moment in Jerusalem, not to embarrass Peter further, but to remove that festering boil of shame which made him want to go and hide, which made him want to go back to his old way of life, back to fishing where he could escape. The first steps towards Peter's healing and restoration is that Jesus asked him to go to the boat and get some more fish. Jesus could have asked any of the disciples to do this. He could have have even said, hey, hey, um, can someone bring some more fish? But he doesn't do that. You see, this is not what God does. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God didn't retreat from Adam and Eve when they sinned. He shows up. He gets involved again. And this is what Jesus is doing here with Peter. You see, Jesus didn't feel any disdain for Peter. This wasn't a a test now to see if Peter was more worthy than he was before. Jesus was just asking him to do a mundane task because Jesus wanted to connect with him and to reaffirm him. After this, Jesus begins to address Peter more directly to raise the shame that Peter felt. You see, Peter's not overlooking what Peter did. He's not brushing it aside as if it's nothing because he knows that Peter can never be truly free or take on the responsibilities that he has for him uh, after the day of Pentecost is coming until Peter is healed and receives a new call to follow him. But this call is not a call for Peter to be a super apostle. It's not a call for Peter, Peter to try harder. It's not a call to be someone who will die heroically alongside Jesus. Jesus' call to Peter is a call to be a gracious, humble servant of Jesus who knows that in himself he doesn't have what it takes to follow him. Jesus spoke to Peter formally using his full name. You see, Peter was a name that Jesus gave to him, but now he's speaking very formally to him. and He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is asking Peter to make a choice again. Do you love your work, Peter, as a fisherman more than me? Peter was previously a big statement guy. He was always trying to one-up his fellow disciples with showy language and he was always declaring himself to be braver or more zealous than anyone else. But now there's humility and he answers Jesus more subduedly but with intent and he says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I might not have shown it, but I love you. Jesus asks Peter this same question three times in a slightly different way. And each time Peter responds affirmatively and each time Jesus commissions him to feed Jesus' sheep, You see, this is the role that Jesus had in mind for Peter because who is better to feed weak sheep than a compassionate shepherd, than someone who knows their own faults and their own weaknesses? Asking Peter three times whether he loved him was deliberate. It was in a sense symbolising the reversal of those three denials that Peter made of Jesus. It's indirect, but it's, but it's doing that. There is not, nothing magical about the number three, but it symbolizes that Jesus is actually drawing this line in the sand and that he's dealing with this issue that had been festering in Peter's mind and his heart and life. Peter had made a mistake, which when the rooster crowed made him remember his promise and Jesus' prediction. After such a dramatic and high fall, what could Peter do, he thought, apart from go back fishing and just have a private faith in God? Perhaps that's where you are today in your own life because you haven't allowed Jesus to deal with the shame that still affects you. Peter was washed up. He was damaged goods. He knew it. And he felt that everyone else knew it. He was a cautionary tale. Of course, there are other ways that Peter could have handled his failure differently. He could have become really zealous, spent the rest of his life trying to compensate for his failures, as a lot of people can do. He could have become really zealous, promoting Jesus far and wide. He could have said to himself, since i failed God, I've got a lot to make up for. But this would have just made him harder. Would have made him more unsympathetic and a much more rigid person. He could have gone another way. He could have just been filled with despair and just given up altogether, left following God, or even worse. Another thing he could have done is he could have tried to handle it another way by just trying to push his failures away, by burying them deep in the recess of his heart or in his mind. But what that's like is that that acts like acid on our soul. Eventually the self-criticism, the self-loathing would have resulted in depression and spiritual pessimism or even worse and it would have sapped his energy and love. Maybe that's where you're at today in your own life as well. The issue is that the old Peter, the proud and boastful Peter, could never serve God in the way that Jesus was calling him to now. You see, after each affirmation, Jesus specifically calls Peter to feed his sheep. Jesus was erasing Peter's shame, but he was also calling him to follow him again. He was writing a new chapter in his story, a chapter in which he serves God by leading and feeding others, but not in his own strength. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Peter discovers a truth, which is that true service is carried out by flawed people who are healed by Jesus and who understand their personal histories and their handicaps and who have made their brokenness transparent to God and who accept his forgiveness and allow his, the transforming work of his Holy Spirit in their lives. Peter's ability to follow Jesus and to feed Jesus' sheep would not actually be possible until he received the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. But even then, going forward, he would always continually need God's help. Ultimately, it's only God who can deal with our shame, and he does this on the cross through Christ Jesus by taking it on himself and by absorbing it, covering it in a sense. But Jesus also keeps on dealing with the shame that we experience in our lives as we look to him today, daily, instead of trying to hide. And when we give our shame to him, instead of trying to carry that shame ourselves. As the psalmist says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, Their faces are never covered with shame. If Peter was alive today and he wrote a post-secret postcard, I think he would have said this. I said I would die with you, Jesus, but in the end I couldn't even admit to a servant girl that I knew you. He might have drawn a picture of himself on that postcard looking at the ground while standing by a charcoal fire in front of a small girl. But that's not the end of Peter's story, is it? The reason it's not the end is because we know that God's postal service is not a one-way postal service where you send a card to him. You see, we receive a card back and Jesus would have given Peter a card in return, but not a secret one. It's a good news postcard, which I think would say something like this. I know, Peter, what you've done, and I still love you. I always will love you. I love you so much that I wanted to cook breakfast for you and remind you of my call on your life and to call you to follow me. What post-secret card would you write for yourself today? What is it in your life that you don't want others to know about? What is it that you fear that if known would lead, you think, to people rejecting you? What is it that makes you reject yourself, that uh, stops you from experiencing peace and freedom and hope? What is it that stops you from getting involved, from being baptized, from joining in the life of the ministry of the church? These are the things that you need to write on that postcard today. I encourage you to write Jesus a postcard and and to give it to him and to leave it with him. But Jesus also wants to give you a return postcard, a return good news postcard, because he wants to lift your shame. He wants to set you free. Today Jesus says to you on that card, I know what you've done and what you've experienced and I still love you so much. You are precious to me. Follow me because only in me there is freedom. As the band comes up, I want to say that Jesus is still cooking breakfast on beaches for all of us. He's still inviting people to follow him today. In the timeless words of Jesus, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all you who carry secrets and who feel shame, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find freedom and hope and peace, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we move into a time of communion together now, I invite you to take some time to reflect on your secrets and those things that have caused you to experience shame in your life. And I invite you to leave those secrets and that shame with Jesus this morning, to leave your burdens with him and to allow him to minister to you afresh and to give you freedom. And then accept his call again to follow him with your whole life.